time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. You know, these, these weeks just go by really quick. Another sign that I'm getting old. That and the nose hairs, the eyebrow hairs, the ear hair, and the out-of-control back-of-the-neck hair. Yeah. Apparently, for guys, when we hit a particular age, we just become really... Yeah, we, we, yeah, that's where the Sasquatch probably comes from. You know, the whole legend of the Sasquatch is probably just some 80-year-old man running around in the forest with big feet. <sighs> that's right. We call this Adventures in Decrepitude. <laughs> Yeah. All right. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. It is it is Friday. It is Friday, November 14th, and uh, the end of the week. Apparently, I'm now a gun owner, but I have to cool off. Yeah, it's true. I have to cool off. You didn't know I have to cool off? See, in California, if you want to own a weapon, then uh, you have to go – if you purchase a weapon, and I've, I've officially purchased a weapon or two – Maybe more. <laughs> I you know, and so I've purchased them, but I can't I can't pick them up because I have to cool off now. They call that a cool off period. At what point does something become a weapon? At what point? What does it become a weapon? Well, a BB gun, not a weapon. Well, a, a BB gun could be a, can, could be a weapon. I mean, if you if you, you if you fire off your BB gun in anger, then it becomes a weapon. It, people have been hurt from BB guns. You'll shoot your eye out. Haven't you ever seen a Christmas story? Oh my cousin. Yeah. So you know we're getting close to that. You know that that time of the year when we get the twenty four hours of uh, a Christmas story. You know you'll shoot your eye. That's one of my favorites. It's one of my favorite movies, man. Just it, I, it comforts me every year just to be able to have it on playing playing in the background. A plus. You know, you know, a plus 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 plus. <laughs> And you'll shoot your eye out, kid, and then Santa puts his boot on his face and sends him down the slide. Just love that. You know, you, you, Christmas, Thanksgiving's right around the corner, too, man. You know. I've heard that about that holiday before Christmas. The holiday before Christmas? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, see, the thing is, if, if, if you go to Walmart, I think Chris, the Christmas ornaments came out the day after uh, the 4th of July. You know, it's crazy. And I was at the I was at the uh, Mission Viejo Mall, <laughs> folks. That, there's a mall for you, Mission Viejo Mall, South Orange County. You know, I mean the 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 people who hang out at that mall, the young teenagers, they they are professional mall rats. But uh, kid you not, it was sat- this last Saturday. I had to run down to the Apple store because Apple is the best computer in the whole world. Just want to let everyone know that. I had to yeah. get something for you know. I needed to get an Apple product, and. Uh, and literally, they had the, uh, they had Santa Claus was there, man. San- no, no kidding. I, I am, you know, I mean, absolutely telling you the, the, the truth. Santa Claus came really early this year, apparently in order to coax parents to spend some money and help the economy out. Real beer? Well, I, I, he was down the lower floor. I was up on the upper floor. So, but, you know, no, he was taking pictures with the kiddies and everything. That's uh, pretty interesting. Yeah. So, I mean... I thought that was disturbingly early. You know, it's like Thanksgiving, uh, that Halloween was just less than a week and a half, uh, you know, finished, and they already got Santa Claus taking pictures with the kids at the mall. The peanuts would be ashamed. Yeah, not, not sure what to make of that. I mean, maybe what we need to do is come up with some kind of a mascot for Thanksgiving. Yeah. 
You know, <laughs> other, than a giant turkey. other than a giant turkey, we need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've got to come up with something to fill the gap. <laughs> the needy buyer. <laughs> you know, cause, you know, because you got the Easter Bunny, you've got, you know, you got Uncle Sam for the Fourth of July, oh, yeah. you got Santa Claus for Christmas, because you know Santa Claus is just so Christian. But you know, we need we need some you know we need some kind of a uh, an in between mascot for the Thanksgiving time. You know, and maybe we can just call him Butterball. What we need is like the mascot Butterball. Butterball. Yeah, Butterball, the turkey. Butterbean. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, the problem is, is people would think, oh, no, I don't know if I like Butterballs. You know, you get into this brand thing. Oh, no. Yeah, apparently one turkey brand is better than another turkey brand. <laughs> but, you know, it might be so. I mean, maybe one one turkey place feeds their turkeys one thing. I mean, I think the, the politically correct thing nowadays is what, free-range turkeys? <laughs> yeah, hunt them yourself, man. Yeah, I, <laughs> get yourself a shotgun, um, you know, and uh, one of them scatter guns, man, and you go out and kill yourself a free-range turkey. Just remember, if you get something hard, you know, spit it out. Don't swallow it. That's lead. Uh, anyway. <clears throat> All right, so we got a great program lined up today. We're, we're going to be doing some listener email. I've got a disturbing news story. We've got to be sure that we handle this one right. And uh, and then we're going to spend a little time kind of circling back on the Rob Bell thing, not particularly because of Rob Bell. Um, over at FightingForTheFaith.com, a couple of members of Mars Hill Bible Church, which is where Rob Bell attends, um, have come onto the website and uh, decided to uh, mix it up a little bit with us in the comments section. And um, so that's the, the, the purpose of our little exercise today is to give a little bit of hermeneutical uh, training. Because there's actually some good hermeneutical uh, tips and strategies that I can give you that, that you can take to test whether or not you're being sold a bill of goods by your pastor, you know whether or not you know he, whether he's just a small town pastor or whether or not he's a large megachurch pastor who's called on twenty thousand people to have sex for seven days straight. <sighs> now, John, you and I were talking about that before the show. John, being a, a single guy. You know, was not really thrilled about. It. If he was attending this church, you know, um, as a single guy, he didn't. He doesn't think that this is a, a very healthy thing for his pastor to be encouraging people to do because, um, well, you know, being a single guy, it's going to send his mind off in the wrong direction. You know, and imagine coming home from church and being sexually frustrated. You know, I might have to go to the Church of the NFL. Yeah, yes, go to the Church of the NFL. Yeah, in fact, if you're a single person and uh, attending Ed Young's church, you just might want to stay home and watch a little football. That trust me, that's it'll help you get your frustrations out rather than building them up. Sheesh. All right, you know, you know, before I get to listener email, somebody sent me. Uh, Actually, this technically falls under the email category. Somebody sent me a link to a YouTube video of a guy I've, of a guy I've actually seen on the BET channel before. Uh, is that the Black Entertainment yeah. Network or something like that? And um, this guy is as phony as a three dollar bill. He he's got these little prayer hankies that he claims can he can heal things with. And every time he says the word God, it's um, I can't even do it because I'll blow everyone's ears out. It's like, yeah, you know, it's uh, his name is Kearney Thomas. And uh, here's Kearney Thomas um, from the link that somebody sent me via email. 
telling us about uh, well, he's going to cure AIDS right there on the television. Can you believe that? I mean, we'll hear him speaking in tongues too. My friend, God is with me. God's anointing is on my ekad. God's anointing. There it is. <laughs> wow. wow, God's anointing is on him in such a way that he's um, apparently foaming at the mouth. I think that's supposed to be tongues. Um, yeah, it could be rabies. I, you know, he, maybe he went and got the shots. That 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 thing would go away. It's almost like a form of Tourette's that he's got going on there. <laughs> you know. God! Spiritual Tourette's. Yeah, spiritual Tourette's. Let me continue. Is here right now to call supernatural miracles to happen for you in your life, in your home, in your family. Now listen, I'm getting ready to go right back to the miracle prayer line. I, I'm getting ready to pray. I know miracles is going to happen, but it can happen for you. You don't have to stay sick. You can be he- You can get healed. I know God will heal you. You don't have to stay broke. God can make a multi-million air out you. you- <laughs> God can make a multi-millionaire out you. Oh, does he have the, uh, the, the codes for the lottery? I you know maybe you know maybe you know, he might have a uh, direct connection to God and God you know give him the the winning lotto numbers or something. Oh my God! Yeah, you know, I think the only person getting rich off of uh, what he's preaching about is um, Kearney Hint, Th- Kearney Thomas, him. <laughs> And we continue. You don't have to stay down. God will get you up now. You don't have to stay sick. God will hit Hell, that hurts. Yeah. I, I think that's Tourette's. Something. And he want to do it for you right now. But you got to move out by faith. You must order the personal prayer package right now. Oh, you got to move out by faith by ordering the personal prayer package. With a seed offering? You know, it, apparently that's a form of seed offering. The personal prayer package. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm saying you can hear my yeah, alliteration. Somebody taught this guy what alliteration means, you know. All right, let's go right back to uh, the Miracle Prayer Line. Well, this time, Pastor Thomas, on the Miracle Prayer Line, all the way from Gainesville, Florida, we have Crystal. Hello, Crystal. Hi. How can I pray for you? Yes, um, I would like prayer because I'm 17 years old. And I've been living HIV positive ever since I was born. My God. Father, right in the name of Jesus, I curse this sickness in her body. And I command Crystal to be made whole. Whoa. You know, I'm watching this on a YouTube video, and I swear every time he says that, it's blowing my eyebrow hairs off me. Get on up, Okosha. Cleanse the blood. And God, you give. Yeah, that's right. That's Bilola Poco Waka, whatever. Yeah, I. Crystal, brand new blood. Do it right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Crystal? Yes. I just believe God just touched and healed your body and just worked a miracle for you. Yeah, easy for him to say. Uh, send in your money. You know, you just you just heard it right here on Pirate Christian Radio. Somebody being healed of HIV. HIV. Just remember, though, you got to step out in faith and send in your personal prayer package. Uh, man, yeah. Why do they allow charlatans like this to prey on people like that? I want you to plan to live. Why do people allow themselves to be preyed on by? charlatans like this 
think it's a form of a curse, actually. Yeah. Yeah, what, what, what do we say? He he probably has a Ph.D. from the King and the Duke University. King and the Duke University. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not die. Yes, sir. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. I, I want to. I pray for others that have been tested to be HIV positive and got healed. I've even prayed uh, and it's documented. I prayed for people that have had full bloom AIDS. And- full bloom AIDS. He's, he's, he's prayed for people with full bloom AIDS. I did not know that AIDS bloomed. Oh yeah, yeah. God has healed them, and God has worked a miracle for them. Hey, this. <laughs> Kill me. Uh, uh, miracles. Yes, I am. Okay. I, I just. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Desperate people. Oh, so sad that somebody would. Here's kind of a montage of his Tourette's. This is the Pastor Kearney Thomas Tourette's montage. Because he cares for you. Don't you know that? <laughs> we continue. He's so concerned about you. Yeah, that's uh, Pastor Kearney Thomas. A little montage here of the screaming pastor. I mean, you're going through hell right now. And you're needing to work the middle phrase. The will not only hear, but God will answer my prayers. I, this is not comedy. I mean, I'm sure the joke is on anyone who would send their money to him, but this guy, oh, man. I have faith for you, for God to work in your family, and God will do it for you. I have faith for you. Will call supernatural miracles to happen Such for an you. an hour as this, and God is... Oh. <laughs> is he passing a kidney stone? Yeah, I, he might be passing a kidney stone. Uh, you know, we need to pray for him. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's a form of Tourette's, we think. That's uh, that's our best guess here. You know, some people, when they have Tourette's, they uh, shout out profanities. This guy screams at the top of his lungs about God. Maybe he's having a spiritual orgasm. Uh, Sorry. Uh, okay, yeah, it's this is terrible, man. Using this thing, and God is a prayer answering God. All right, let's go right back to the personal prayer. Getting ready to happen for you, girl. Enough. I can't. <laughs> Enough. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Why does why does this man have anybody taking him seriously? Desperate people do desperate things. Charlatans, wolves in sheep clothing, literally making merchandise of the sick and the old. Just terrible. Aye. All right. Uh, got an email here from uh, from Ray in L.A. This Ray, he he's changed up his tagline. He was he had the Mr. Krabs tagline going on for a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, cries you a sweater of tears and you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> His new one. I think this is uh, this is. He may have written this one himself because I don't know who Da Truth is. Who's Da Truth? Anyway, the quote is: "Because uh, men don't need to primp, we need uh, strength." Christ was not a hippie picking lilies. It was not a hippie picking lilies with his friends. That's man up, Da Truth. I'm not sure. Yeah. <clears throat> Ray writes. He says, "A boy if." Uh, Christ's purpose was to show us how to attain our own Christ consciousness. He's responding to Deepak Chopra, you know, from the program yesterday. We 
played the audio from Deepak Chopra on the uh, Hannity and Combs show. And he says, if uh, Christ's purpose was to show us how to attain our own Christ consciousness so that by our aura of peace we could alleviate any hostility towards us, uh, Jesus sure screwed that one up big time. I, I seem to recall him being betrayed by one of his own followers, dragged before the governor by his own people, had a murderer picked over him to be released, and then was flogged and crucified. Yeah, what's up with that, Chopra? <laughs> I, you know, Ray, you get the point. I mean, that was here's the deal. When people make these claims, these outrageous claims, and you know, Chopra has wandered off into our territory because he claims to be uh, exegeting what Jesus said, and you know, in the New Testament, and claims to know what Jesus did during the quote missing years of Jesus' life. You know, what was Jesus doing? Well, he was he was a, he went from rebellious teenager to rebellious leader. But uh, you know, apparently Jesus didn't even understand his responsibility for creating an aura of peace so that people want, wouldn't want to harm him. You know, and it, it, it and it's not like Jesus wasn't trying. I mean, he was healing the sick, taking care of the poor, uh, um, raising the dead. I mean, all things that you would think like you know, normal. You would think that normal human behavior would be, you know, we got to keep this guy around. He's handy in a pinch. <laughs> you know, no, they didn't even look at the practical side about it. You know, they just want to get rid of him. So you know, so he was. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, they crucified Jesus. Apparently, Jesus did not understand that, you know, how to properly utilize that Christ consciousness within him. He's the guy that wrote Jesus, the wonder years? Yeah, Jesus, the wonder years. <laughs> oh, That's really clever. Did you write that yourself? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I might want to get a T-shirt to that effect. Jesus, the wonder years. Oh, my gosh. All right, Pam writes back. She uh, she emailed me back regarding uh, our answering of her question regarding, you know, whether or not we're sinners or we're not sinners and the semantical information in, you know, in that. And so, um, and, yeah, and I called her a chick. Did we call, yeah, I went back and we called her a chick. Yeah. We're dudes. <laughs> we're dudes. And so we... Totally. Um, surfer chick or surfer dude. Right, yeah. We're, we're sorry. You know, Pam, I apologize. That, that was, like, really cheeky of us because, you know, we all live in a surf town. <laughs> you know, we wear shorts to work and... And, you know, and I go kayaking and, you know, in, in the summer I go body. You know, we're, we're all surfers here, you know. So, you know, we called her a chick. <sighs> she said that cracked her up, though. So we're, we're off the hook, man. Whew. <laughs> I was worried there. She says, thank you so much for taking all that time to read my email and to explain so thoroughly how Christians can be saints and sinners all at the same time. I took as many notes as I could with a three-year-old hanging all over me. And I just realized how very fast that you talk. Apparently, I talk fast. I think it may be because I was furiously writing while trying to hit pause while telling the three-year-old to go play while looking things up in my Bible. Now, see, a woman can do that. Women can multitask. I have no idea how Mrs. Roseboro does it, but I'm telling you, she is an amazing multitasker. She can have three pots boiling. She can be chopping up vegetables, have the laundry running upstairs. Um, there could be kids, you know, running around the island in our in our um, in our kitchen, you know, doing the Indian dance, you know, and um, and I kid you not, she'll still be able to everything, every every item that she's cooking will finish at exactly the right time, and that's it, and we'll sit down, and it's the same time every night. That's the amazing thing. Dinner at the Roseboro begins at six forty-five every night. And if you are there at 6.46, you're actually late. 
because she's capable of making all of – she's a great cook. She's capable of making all of these things. She can do all of this stuff and be on the phone with her mom too. That's the amazing thing. You know, I, the, her secret for multitasking there has to do with the fact she has one of those phones with a headphone and a little mic thing going on. So she's cooking, ta- talking with her mom's Kids are running around. Cats are misbehaving. Dog needs to go outside. And she still gets everything done at exactly 645. It's hot. It's perfect. It's wonderful. I don't know how she does it. <laughs> And yeah. you're usually late for dinner. No, I no, I'm walking down the street and I'm chewing bubble gum and then I will be on my face. I'll trip and fall. I can't do it. I just can't do it. It's it's a dangerous situation if I'm on a hands-free headset while driving. There people's lives are at stake at that point. Multitasking is not my gift. Anyway, so that's not what she wrote about though. I don't know why I went off on that tangent. <laughs> Anyway, she says, um, anyway, uh, she's, okay, she, oh, there is only so much multitasking that she, that she can do, she says. Everything you said made perfect sense, and I feel so much better. Now I need to study the word uh, more and really get all of this right in my head and pray that God will speak through me at Sunday school to explain all of this to my class. I'm especially thankful for you uh, pointing uh, me to First Timothy 1. Excellent point. If Paul is considered himself as a sinner, who are we to think that we are any better than he was? Let's see, that's 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 just too logical. Amen. You know, Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. That, in fact, funny enough, I actually disagree with Paul. I would think I, I, mean, I think I could qualify there for chief of sinners. Anyways, Greeks chief, Arche. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 primary. It's just it's the the Greek word there's Arche. So, um, one uh, one question I do have for you is: Can you give me the spelling of that Latin phrase which explains the paradox? I can. I emailed it to you, Pam, but I'll, I'll say it on air anyways. The Greek, the, that's a Latin phrase, and it's simul justus et peccator. All right. We're going to Google it, too. Uh, simul justus et peccator is what it looks like. Okay, it's S-M-I-U-L, simul. Justus is with a J, J-U-S-T-U-S. Et is E-T, and peccator is P-E-C-C-A-T-O-R. Now, you I don't know if you can use these in Scrabble though. Are you allowed to use foreign languages in Scrabble? Um I, I probably like, like no. Yeah, maybe you can use Klingon. Yeah. <laughs> so I wonder how yeah, how would you translate simul used to set Picator into Klingon? <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Okay, dude, the dude part is coming out again. We should stop. <laughs> Okay, she says, okay, again, thank you. I, uh, I will uh, email the teacher and have him listen to your program. I, in fact, if your teacher has any questions for me, invite him you know, to, to write in or you know, give me a call. I, I, I don't bite hard. So it says, I think, uh, I think you explained it a lot better than I would be able to. I also caused a stir the second week I was in class. Now she's just a troublemaker, man. Uh-oh. Like women like this. Okay, I, I've just been attending this church uh, regularly since August. When I told them that I haven't made a decision about the rapture, <laughs> now there's some folks that if you ha- if you don't believe in the rapture, you're not saved. Um, which means I'm not saved um, <laughs> because I don't believe in the rapture. I, I don't think the scriptures teach it at all. Uh, no. In fact, there's a, there's a professor at Westmont College who, for many years, was offering ten thousand dollars to a person that could provide a passage of scripture that clearly teaches the doctrine of the rapture. And uh, so far his money's been safe. You know, it, by the way that's you know and people think that they can they can provide you the biblical proof for it when they go to the passages that they think support it and you push them on it they realize it doesn't. 
Christ doesn't come back secretly a first time. It, 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 we're not, we don't believe in the third coming of Christ. <laughs> when Jesus comes back, you know, he comes back and the whole world get to see it. Okay. And if you read the book of Revelation, there's a section in there that talks about the fact that uh, God will allow Satan to make war against the saints for a time. And uh, and pretty much Satan's going to not only make war against us, but win. So, um, you know, folks, uh, if you're hoping to get raptured out of here in, before, you know, before the, the things really get crazy right before the end, you got another thing coming. You might want to go out and uh, you might want to fire up that Y2K bunker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the biggest non-event in human history, Y2K. If you still have spam, your seven-year <laughs> supply of spam from your Y2K bunker, see what I, I don't. Seven-year supply of spam. If you bought it, at, you know, right in 1999, that one has a shelf life of 7,500 years. You're still good. That's that. You that would that would get you through. Anyway, she's, she hasn't made a decision about the rapture. I figure it isn't essential for my salvation. I'd rather study Revelation with a pray for the best and prepare for the worst attitude um, than study it with the thoughts that I'll never see the tribulation. Yeah, smart lady. I'm wondering how long it'll take for them to kick me out. Well, it depends on just how, you know, is the, is the rapture in this church a mandatory doctrine? You know, and what's, fun, you know what's funny is, is that what I've found when I was teaching at a Baptist church, there was a lot of people who believed in the rapture and, you know, you, they pretty much made their position known. But there was a whole undercurrent of people who would come up to come up to me and talk to me privately and say, oh, Chris, I know the Bible doesn't teach the rapture, but I just can't say anything because it gets so it gets people so mad. And so there, believe me when I tell you, Pam, there's a whole undercurrent probably at that church of people who don't who don't believe in the rapture. But then again, if it's a King James only church, then, well, that's a different beast altogether. Okay. Uh, all right, got a, another email here from Pastor Mueller. That's the <clears throat> Pastor Mueller writes. He says, "I just wanted to thank you for exposing the impious nature of the three-minute video. Using a gimmick to promote the faith simply will not work. I'm a pastor in rural Nebraska, Amherst, uh, named after a, a British general in the French and Indian War. I have unfortunately tried a gimmick before. So this little confession here going on here." He's tried to get it before, and I've come to the realization that it prostitutes. Hope that's not too hard of a, harsh of a word. Nope, nope not on this program. We've uh, we've already I've already been told by somebody who who's worked in real radio that if I were if I were trying to do my show at a normal radio station, I would have been fired a long time ago. So no prostitute is not uh, is not too strong of a word. In fact, let me let me add to this point. I think it's interesting that false religion in the scriptures is many times um, likened to uh, prostitution. Okay. And when you, when you read in the book of revelation, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a character in the book of revelation, the great prostitute, you know, the great, the great prostitute of false religions who gets the nations to drink her maddening wine. And uh, very interesting thing there. So, in fact, in the Old Testament, you have allusions to prostitution. I think was it Hosea who uh, God told to marry a prostitute. Her name was Gomer. 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 Yeah. And uh, you know, and so, yeah, and it was to show that that Israel had prostituted themselves with false gods. So, false religion and gimmicks like this do prostitute the gospel, and that's not too harsh of a word. 
Okay, so he says, the realization that it prostitutes the truth of God before God's people. I repent of my desire to be relevant, and I will try to do better in the future with the help of God. Amen. Amen. Repentance. Absolvite. I was thinking about the music played during the three-minute deal. I think it it had a pagan sort of idea behind it, like the pagan temples of old. We seem to think that God simply will not work unless there's some kind of machine involved. Um, I suppose only here it's the keyboard that manipulates our, our liver shivers or our burning in the bosom to make us think that God has somehow reached out and touched us, but it's all pagan. Now, with the some of the pagan temples, actually, um, I forget the name of the inventor. He had invented some machines so that if you were to throw a coin into a particular thing, then the deity would talk. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and so and that and th- that was it was such an early machine. Nobody was familiar with mechanisms and stuff like that, and so they, they thought they thought that the the deity was actually talking to them. That it was a miracle, and and really, basically, it was nothing more than a coin operated coke machine that spits out words, you know, or labs things, you know. Yeah, I think it was a bird. Actually, if it tweeted one way, it would mean one thing. If it, you know, it. I think it was a bird. I, I'm doing this from memory. I'm a History Channel nerd. So, all right. Anyway, we continue. The real way that God reaches out and touches us is through the body and blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. Uh Absolutely. Uh, Through the water and the word of baptism and uh, and through the word, these come to us as means of grace, conduits of the Holy Spirit to give and strengthen faith. These Jesus uses to apply his victory that he has won for us on the cross. Thanks. Thanks for being so clear on this. Still, right now, I'm feeling the hair stand up on the on my back, but I think it's just because my wife turned down the thermostat. <laughs> oh, he see, he had a little liver shiver going on there, and it realized maybe it was just too cold in here. Thanks for all you do. Keep it up, and I know that there are more pastors and other parishioners like me that are out there on the knife's edge between the truth of God's word and the pagan lie. Yeah, I think that's where we all are, and we have to understand that even those who have fallen into a pagan lie, uh, we our, our responsibility as Christians is to pray for them with the understanding that if it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd be there too with them, or worse. So it's not because we're so great, it's because God's so great in rescuing us. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, ah, this is not going to be a fun story. Um, we're going to talk about uh, a group of radical homosexuals that are planning a day of intolerance. And uh, living here in California and uh, being a Christian, I'm uh, getting a little nervous about what I'm reading there. So uh, when we come back, we will talk about that. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard so far on today's show, you can do so by emailing me at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. That's talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. We'll be right back. And uh, stay tuned. Stay with us on this Friday afternoon. Being good in the sack is not the measure of true Christian sanctification. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
Patrick Kyle, a founding partner of New Reformation Press. Just as the first Reformation rediscovered, reclaimed, and restated timeless truths from the Word of God, the mission of New Reformation Press is to reintroduce these truths to the contemporary church and culture. All of our resources are handpicked to ensure that you have the best available biblical and doctrinal materials at your fingertips to help you grasp the treasures of the Reformation and deepen your own understanding of Christ and His work on your behalf. Browse our website at newreformationpress.com. We offer books, CDs, downloadable MP3s, and our very own line of Reformation-themed clothing. Check out the audio presentation, Bible in an Hour. Absolutely the finest overview of the scriptures that the staff at New Reformation Press has ever heard. Also, Dr. Rod Rosenblatt's presentation, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church. A stunning 200-proof presentation of the gospel for those who have been hurt by the church and discouraged as a result of false teaching. Available exclusively through NewReformationPress.com. Again, that's NewReformationPress.com. So is that surfer music or rocker music? Kind of a melding of the two. It's got like a little surfer groove thing going on there. All right. Okay, this is a... I want to warn you ahead of time. This story is a little bit rough. And um, and then I ahead of time, I want to make this really clear. Um, the headline of the story that we're about to read, we're going to do a little news right now. We won't do our little news update music because this one's a pretty serious story. Um, the, the headline reads radical homosexuals plan day of intolerance. And I think before we read this, we need to understand something here. Um, the, the, the important word in this story, this news story is the word radical. Okay. We're not talking about grassroots everyday law abiding People, we're talking about radicals, and um, one of the things that you you must not do as Christians is paint an entire group by the the actions of 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 you know some people on the fringe. Okay, for instance, um, let me let me give you one that kind of hits home with me. I sure do hate being lumped in with the the television preachers because I'm a Christian. You know, I you know, believe me when I tell you. It, there's nothing worse than having to take the time to have to explain to somebody who isn't a Christian that you, what you see on Christian television isn't Christian, and um, and that there's that that those people were really out on out on the fringe. You know, they've become, they've become more mainstream, but that's not what real biblical Christianity is all about. So, in the same way, we have to we have to approach this story with that sense that um, we're not talking about all people who are homosexuals. We're talking about a, a group of radicals. We're talking about a group of activists. And uh, and we're going to relate it back to the fact that here in America, we have freedom of speech. And really, the, the concept behind freedom of speech is that uh, in America, we are a free marketplace of ideas. Okay? And so we don't believe in a totalitarian state. We don't believe in shoving something down someone's throat. And the idea is, is that you get the you get your ideas out into the marketplace of ideas. You debate them, and let people decide for themselves. And if they don't want to make the decision, then you don't you don't run them through with a sword or blow them up. You know, 
that's that's considered not fair play in the in the in the marketplace of ideas and what's really disturbing is is that there's a group of radical homosexuals that are out on the fringe who are, have decided to take matters into their own hands and rather than give a compelling case for what they believe and why it should why something should change their solution is uh, violence and that's what they're advocating so <clears throat> the story is from uh, onenewsnow.com. I, I should put. I'll put a link up to it at Fighting for the Faith. Here's what it says. It says activist homosexual leaders are planning a day of protest this Saturday over losing the traditional marriage battles in three states. The homosexual movement for special rights has become louder and, in some cases, violent. In the aftermath of losses at the ballot box in Florida, Arizona, and California, Florida Family Association notes the increased intensity in rhetoric from the self-proclaimed, quote, champions of tolerance. Now, that's an ironic statement here. The name of the group uh, is, uh, let's see, Homosexual Movement. Uh, uh, I forget the name of the association here. Anyway, this, associate, this activist group considers itself to be the champions of tolerance, yet they're not they're being extremely intolerant that's really interesting the national day of protest logo is a clenched fist and features phrases such as fight the hate and ready to rumble the florida family association notes that the irony in the homosexual movement that formerly preached diversity and tolerance has now become increasingly disorderly aggressive even intolerant of supporters of traditional marriage by vandalizing property and staging protests at and inside churches. We we read we t- I, we talked about those uh, what I called liberal terrorists earlier in the week. We read the story about in Lansing, Michigan. They literally disrupted, in, in, invaded, and disrupted and took over a church service. Matt Barber of Liberty Council says that the demonstration ought to be taken seriously, especially this Saturday. "Quote: There have been threats of church burnings. There have been threats of violence, even murder against Christians." And there has has been vandalism already of a number of churches. According to an alert issued by the Florida Family Association, the radical, and the word important here here is radical, gay leaders have two goals in mind through the upcoming protest. One is to normalize homosexuality in all areas of American society, and the second is being to silence everyone who disagrees with them. The notice adds that homosexual activists are refusing to accept the final vote as an expression of the will of of the American people. Quote, it really amounts to homo-fascism. And so what we're seeing is that they don't want to let the democratic process play out. These people are anti-democracy, clearly. So what's happening here, folks, uh, in California is, you know, one of the states here is literally tomorrow is supposed to be a day of intolerance by these radical homosexual activists. And they have stated that their goal is to silence anyone, everyone who disagrees with them. Okay, now, this is not a religious argument, but that's not how America operates. We work from freedom of speech. And no organization has the right to silence criticism, to silence a differing point of view. In the marketplace of ideas, you put your idea out there, you promote it, you give people reasons to support it, and you build coalitions and get people to change their minds to support your point of view. And if you can't do that, you know, I remember as a kid, oh, man, 
How many years did I hear over and over again about the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment they were trying to pass, right? People made the case to pass the Equal Rights Amendment, and it didn't pass. And they kept coming at it for year after year after year, and finally they gave it up, okay? That's how things work in America. If you can't build a coalition, if you can't get people to, enough people to support your ideas, tough. That's how it works. It's a marketplace of ideas, but these people are going to take matters into their own hands. Um, a story that's actually linked to this one says violence is urged against marriage supporters. This is in conjunction with what we've been reading. A Christian legal expert is calling for an investigation of a number of homosexual activists for advocating violence against supporters of traditional marriage. Matt Barber of Liberty Council checks blogs of homosexual activists in the aftermath of, the, of Election Day and was shocked at the response to three more states, California, Arizona, and Florida, approving constitutional amendments declaring marriage to be between one man and one woman. Quote, a number of homosexuals and homosexual activists are actually calling for violence, calling for churches to be burned to the ground, churches that supported these amendments, he explains, and the call for violence includes killing Christians. I'm not making this up. This is extremely serious. In a written statement, Barbara quotes from several activist blogs. Quote, Can someone in California please go d burn down the Mormon temple there, please? I mean, seriously, do it. Quote, I'm going to give them something to be effing scared of. I'm a radical who is now on a mission to make them all pay for what they've done. Quote, Burning their effing churches to the ground and then tax the charred timbers. Quote, I hope the, the no on eight people have a long list and long knives. Quote, I swear I'll murder people with my bare hands this morning. Quote, trust me, I've got a big list of names of Mormons and Catholics that were big supporters of Prop 8. As far as Mormons and Catholics, I warn them to watch their backs. The, the, folks, this is not, I'm sorry, but when it comes to freedom of speech, okay, this is this doesn't, count as freedom of speech this isn't blowing off steam these are actual these are people who are actually threatening to burn down churches and to murder people who supported uh the constitutional amendment of prop 8 mm -hmm. this is serious this is criminal activity this is criminal activity now think about it for a second here um my question is, where are the authorities on this? I mean, as a Christian, as a white Christian man, okay, believe me, I know how the system works, okay, here in politically correct land, otherwise known as Orange County, California. Okay, I've got a radio show, and I'm a white, I'm a fat white guy, okay? If I were to say on my blog, I, I actually run a few blogs, but if I were to say something to the effect of, you know, what we really need to do is... Um, we need to uh, we, we need to go and murder homosexuals and burn down their houses and get and get them to shut up. You know, if I were to start foaming at the mouth and sound like that, uh, who's that guy? Uh, the Westboro Baptist Church pastor. You know. Uh -oh. Okay. Believe. Not only would what I said make it into the news. It would make it into the national news. Okay, I would be held up for ridicule of the whole nation. Okay, as some outrageous hate monger. Okay, 
and and held up as an example of just what's wrong with Christianity. If I were to say, if I were to do that, okay, something's wrong here. That uh, the, there's not equal time. This is this is not how we play the game here in America. And so I asked the question earlier this week: Has the open persecution of Christians in the United States begun? I think this adds another. Uh, this is another example of something that's seriously going wrong. And it's to the point where I think the answer to the question is, yeah, it looks like it. Okay. Um, when, when radicals can basically say that, that you know, with, with, without, impunity. With, with impunity, that they want to burn down Christian churches and murder Christians. Uh, that's a problem. Okay. Anyway, what do you think? Email me. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Okay. Now we're going to switch gears here. Oh, wait. I got another email from James the Pest. I put it at the bottom of the list. I shouldn't have done that. James writes me. He calls himself James the Pest. He says, uh, this is the guy who, who, who said neener, neener, neener about the fact that Obama won and basically accused me of sour grapes you know, because I was pointing out this whole messianic stuff. So he, he sent me the, the dictionary definition of Messiah. The uh, English definitionary di- uh, definition of Messiah is a leader or savior of a particular group or a cause. To Germany, Hitler was more of a Messiah than a political leader. I, you know, it's funny. I, you know, my claim is, is this is a mixing of the two kingdoms. He says, um, since you don't like the term being used for Obama, I thought you might appreciate that one. That, <laughs> thanks, James. He says, I still put it down to that's the world for you. Two other right, uh, right-hand right words I'd like to hear your comments are um, hell as in war is hell or you make my life a living hell or whatever. I add that on TV that when they don't want to say hell, they'll say purgatory or, or, or false right-hand kingdom doctrine that doesn't fit with what we're trying to say. And it's all very silly. And, you know, they wanted to use the word hell. Using hell in such a fashion bothers me because hell is a whole lot worse than either war or living with, uh, or living with me. <laughs> Hopefully, James, no one's actually saying that living with you is hell. Um, and you can't get out of hell by dying or be or being driven to your grave. The other one is sacrifice, as in uh, this is war and we must make sacrifices. This bugs me because biblical sacrifices were vastly different from war sacrifices, and the context is, uh, concept is trivialized when it means you have to buy uh, the 50-inch rather than the 70-inch television set because you must sacrifice. If you don't want right-hand words applied in the left-hand way, do these things bother you? Well, does this qualify as straining at, straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel? Um, maybe not. Um, let me give you a different example, James, and let me put it to you this way. Uh, there are times in my life when I'm more sensitive to particular phrases. For instance, you know, one of the things I'll tell my children if they're misbehaving, keep that up and I'll kill you. Okay? Now, think about it for a second. Um Am I am I threatening to murder them? No, it's a euphemism, you know, basically meaning that they're going to get punished. But the word "kill" there—that's um, that's a pretty strong word to use, and I'm using it hyperbolically. I, but the issue is, is that there are times when I'm more sensitive to that phrase. For instance, when a loved one passes or a loved one dies, and you you your raw your emotions are raw and you're on a raw nerve because 
somebody you love is now dead, hearing about hearing how flippantly we use the words kill and die and things like that in our everyday phrases makes you realize just how completely desensitized we are to the seriousness of death. And I think in a similar way, when we say war is hell or you make my life a living hell, people are are use, speaking in those terms using hyperbole. And the reality is, is that um, yeah, war is hell and it's terrible. It's just it's it's awful. But it, it, it and we liken it to hell because in our human experience, nothing quite comes, nothing quite compares to war in the hellishness category. I mean, if you really want to get a taste of hell, I guess war would be it. So I understand what's going on there, and um, I'm not I'm not not really bent out of shape when people use that term. But I will agree with you that. Uh, when they use the term like "you make my life a living hell" or "war is hell," they're, uh, that the, the way they're using that term, you know, it, it doesn't even remotely come close to conveying just how awful hell is. And in, in a sense, it does trivialize it. But from our experience, it also is communicating something about that person's experience. And so, you know, I, I I'm not particularly bent out of shape. Um, with that, and as far as sacrifices are concerned, that that's even more. There's there's not even a strong case there. You know, there's all kinds of sacrifices, um, and that's not necessarily. You know, we're not necessarily talking about a substitutionary sacrifice. That's that that word has a, a much broader meaning depending on what kind of context you're using it. So, James, the past, I think that uh, that answers your question. Okay, we're going to circle back. We're going to spend a little bit of time now. Uh, Reviewing something from Rob Bell's sermon. Now, the purpose of this little exercise really isn't about Rob Bell. It has to do with the fact that I was in a debate, or a discussion if you would, with a couple of members of Mars Hill Bible Church. And uh, they were defending Rob Bell's uh, interpretation of Philippians 3, where he interprets what Paul is saying as speaking against tribalism. Tribalism. Now, the reason I'm doing this and going back through this is because I want to give you all some basic biblical hermeneutical principles that you can hang your hat on and that you can apply, because I see this as a practical lesson. Okay, Hermeneutics, by the way, it, it's a $5 theological word, and it has to do with properly interpreting God's word. It has to do with uh, you know making sure that you understand it properly, the principles that you apply in order to properly interpret what God's word is conveying in its message. And it includes a lot of grammar. It includes context. It includes words. It includes verbs and nouns and direct objects and subjective clauses and indicatives and imperatives and aorists. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that gets thrown into this. But um, rather than getting down to some of the finer points, I think it would actually help us out to do a little bit of work in just some basics. Number one basic hermeneutical principle when it comes to doctrines is that no doctrine can be established unless there is a clear word from God. Clear word. Okay, so for instance, you, you, you know, unless there's a passage in Scripture that, that God likes toasted cheese sandwiches, we cannot say with any certainty whether or not God likes toasted cheese sandwiches. He actually may not enjoy them. We don't know. Okay, but you can't take a couple of verses out of context where it's not, not directly addressed and then draw a hard conclusion that God likes toasted cheese sandwiches. You have to use clear words. Uh, you have to have a clear word to make a doctrine. Now, in the same way, uh, there's some things you want to avoid when you are interpreting or reading God's word. Okay, well, The thing you ultimately want to avoid, ultimately, 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 is this thing called eisegesis. 
Okay, and that's no, that's not I C E J E S U S. It's not ice Jesus. It's called eisegesis, and it literally means reading into the text. Okay, and the way eisegesis is achieved is you have a particular idea or understanding of something, and then when you get to a passage of scripture, what you do is you read in your ideas into God's word, rather than reading out or digging out what God's word actually means. So the, the right way is called exegesis, reading out. The wrong way is called eisegesis, and that's reading in. And um, if, when we review Rob Bell's sermon, what I'm going to make the claim is, is that Rob Bell has been engaging in eisegesis. Okay? He's been engaging in eisegesis. He's reading in to the text this tribal thing. How do I know this? Well, when you go back and you look at Philippians chapter 3... There's nothing in the passage that says tribal. Okay? In other words, God the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the Apostle Paul to write Philippians. And God the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to use the words that he used. And they have particular meanings. So, that being the case, what we're going to do here is we're going to spend just a little bit of time listening to Rob Bell. And we're going to... uh, it's toward the end of his sermon before he calls me a dog and him explaining the meaning of Philippians chapter three. Now, I think you'll see what's going on here. Here we go. Uh, Rob Bell from Mars Hill Bible Church called Beware of the Dogs. His understanding of Philippians chapter three. I just have a problem with what they're really saying is a tribal centric religion that isn't as big as Jesus. Jesus will always be bigger than your tribe. Are you with me? And so what happens is you have to make sure that what you are saying is church, God, Jesus, Bible, gospel, faith is not actually the same old tribal politics and theology disguising itself as the gospel. Because it can use all the right words But it's actually about us and us alone. So so, so this way of understanding things, this original movement is Abraham to a nation, a tribe, a family, to all people. Ethnos, ego, self-centric, to ethnocentric. But but Jesus invites us to be world-centric. Okay, got to stop there. Okay, if you're not sure of the context of this and want to get, go back and hear the whole sermon, uh, then do so. Go back a, you know, a few days to uh, to where we review the entire sermon. The name of that episode of Fighting for the Faith was uh, Rob Bell Calls Chris Rosebro a Dog. And um, he's talking about, he, he gave earlier in the sermon this idea that people are born egocentric and then they learn to be ethnocentric, which has to do with being, uh, with focusing in on your tribe, and that Jesus is inviting us to be global-centric. Okay, now here's the problem. Nowhere in the Scripture do you get the words egocentric, ethnocentric, or global-centric. Okay? They're not in there. Now, during my review, I was saying that Christ invites us to be Christocentric. Now, these are concepts, and so the question is, are there any clear words of God that would say that can point us to the fact that God wants us or Christ wants us to be either global centric or Christocentric. 
The answer to the Christocentric question is actually I can produce example after example where where we are invited to be Christocentric. Especially as we read the scripture. What does Jesus say to the Jews? The people who have been reading the Bible all their lives. He said to them, you diligently search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And you refuse to come to me to have life. Okay, so Jesus claims that the scriptures are about him. In other words, they center on Christ. That's another phrase. So what happens is, is if you're going to use phrases that are not in the Bible, one of the things that you can do is you can actually test to see if those phrases are interchangeable with biblical words. Okay? So what I just said is, you know, let, let me find the passage of Scripture so I'm going to read this in context. Going to Roseboro's ESV... Uh, computerized Bible. And by the way, the reason I read the ESV is because I'm sanctified. It's true. Sanctified and pious people like me read the ESV. You know what? They don't even pay me to say that. I just do that out of the love of my heart. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm getting the looks like Roseboro. Do you also wear Bible pants? Yeah, I wear Bible pants. <laughs> okay. Uh, diligently. Yeah, search scriptures script here we go do 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 it's in the gospel of john here we go it's john chapter 5 starting at verse 39 i might get give some context here john chapter 5 and what we'll do is we'll back it up a little bit so we have some context i'll go back to verse 30 Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the, not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Notice that Jesus here is talking about himself. Okay, and Jesus is making a case for himself. Focusing in on himself. And the Father who sent me has borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus says. Okay? So the question is, can you take the term Christocentric and plug it in and, and have it still make sense? You search the scriptures because you, you think that in them they have life. And it is these scriptures that are Christocentric and witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Notice I stuck the, word Christos, the, the words Christocentric into that passage, and it doesn't actually mess the passage up. Okay? It doesn't, it, it doesn't do any violence to the text. So I'm going to teach you guys a little bit of a trick. 
if someone's teach is using words that are not exactly biblical or trying to teach you a concept and they're saying that this passage of scripture is teaching this, then what you do to test to see if that really works is you take their phrases and plug them back into the text to see if it works. Because if that's really what the text is saying, then those words will really work. Now, we're going to take a break real quick here. And when we come back, we're going to continue with this Rob Bell sermon. And I will show you from Philippians chapter 3, when you take Rob Bell's uh, phrases and plug them in or replace them in Philippians chapter 3, that they don't work at all. Um, not not even close. So um, if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard so far today, you can do so. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com. And we'll be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. My local Christian bookstore just sells Jesus schlock. Where can I find good material? We at NewReformationPress.com are committed to providing a hand-picked selection of books and teaching materials that educate, inform, and entertain while uniquely maintaining a relentless focus on the gospel. We believe that these forgotten doctrines and their scriptural emphases can not only enrich individual Christians and revive the church, but also address the deepest needs of our culture. Discover our growing library of resources by Dr. Rob Rosenblatt of the White Horse Inn radio program, including his powerful address, The Gospel for Those Broken by the Church, available exclusively at NewReformationPress.com, or the big-picture audio presentation Bible in an Hour by Pastor Wade Butler. Learn the center and scope of redemptive history and scripture in just one hour. And of course, be sure not to miss our selection of t-shirts, gifts, and artwork as well. NewReformationPress.com. Finally, Reformation Theology Made Accessible. All right. 
You're listening to Fighting for the Faith, and I am Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. My job, dish up a daily dose of biblical discernment. Ask the question, is what we're hearing from major Christian leaders really biblical Christianity? Or is it fall into the other category? Just a reminder, folks, Pirate Christian Radio is a listener-supported radio network. Now you're thinking, why is Roseboro pitching Pirate Christian Radio and FightingForTheFaith.com? Well, FightingForTheFaith.com broadcasts on Pirate Christian Radio. And uh, Pirate Christian Radio is listener-supported. If you are being fed God's Word, you're growing in your biblical understanding, and you're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you're benefiting from... The, this outreach of Pirate Christian Radio, then um, we'd, I'd like to kindly ask you to consider partnering with us and helping us financially to continue this outreach. We need, you, we need your financial support in order to pay our salaries, pay for our broadcast fees, pay for uh, the things that we really would like to do in order to continue to market and expand our audience. And uh, we would really like you to consider, prayerfully consider partnering with us and help make this happen. You can do that by sending in your financial gift to Pirate Christian Radio at Post Office Box 791 in San Juan Capistrano, California, or SJC for short, California 92693. Pirate Christian Radio, Post Office Box 791, SJC, California 92693. We really appreciate you doing that and uh, look forward to partnering with you and uh, helping to see Pirate Christian Radio continue to expand and grow and pay our bills as we need to uh, with your help. All right, we're talking about uh, we're talking about hermeneutics right now. We're, we're circling back a little bit, and I'm trying to teach you guys a little bit of some basic biblical hermeneutical principles. And we're using a bad example, and that's Rob Bell's uh, sermon on. Being be beware them dogs, and uh, it, we, what we've heard so far, just in our short little brief review, is that he's using the, he's he says that God, that uh, that we got to go from being egocentric to ethnocentric, which is tribal, but Christ wants us to be global centric or world centric. Okay, but there's no clear word from God, and I basically made the case, if you were to really look at what Christ is saying, what he calls us to, he calls us to a Christocentric life you know and there's other passages you can bring the bear here i am the vine you are the branches he who abides in me bears much fruit okay and i think you can make the case that that passage there is calling us to be christ-centered abiding in christ is centering on christ right there's other passages i can bring in but the point i'm trying to make is is that when somebody is is using terms to describe or try to interpret god's word that are not exactly biblical the test that you can use to see whether or not they really are biblical is to take their phrases and plug them into the text to see if they work. And if if they're synonyms and the concepts are the same, they, it actually works out rather well. If they're not, then uh, then it don't. And uh, as Ricky would say, Lucy, we got a problem. Okay, but uh, we're we're going to continue here with uh, Rob Bell so that you can get a little bit more context for what we're talking about here, because I want you to see how he's going to turn this now into in the book of Philippians and how he's going to use it. Okay, here we go. So you see what's happening in Philippians is all people are experiencing the saving love of God expressed in Christ. 
That's what's happening in Philippi. Well, actually, Gentiles are. Okay, but we'll continue. And there is this group of Jewish Christians who are going around to these all people who are experiencing God's saving love for the whole world expressed in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And they're saying, wait, 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 wait. If you're really going to be legitimate, you have to do our tribe's rituals. And Paul is... Okay, stop. Okay. Now, we're doing hermeneutical work, and we're using, uh, we're using Rob Bell as an example here. He's interpreting... Paul from Philippians chapter 3 to mean that Paul is warning people about others who would say that you have to do our tribe's rituals in order to really be Christian. Is that really what the passage is saying? Is it talking about tribal rituals and things that identify you tribally? Or is it talking about those who are trying to add the keeping of the Mosaic law, tack it on and make it a requirement for salvation. Right? Well, another hermeneutical, hermeneutical principle that every one of you needs to know and, and to really engage in is this idea that Scripture interprets Scripture. Now, is this the first time we've ever heard of the Judaizers in the New Testament? Well, no. As a matter of fact, okay, so here's the deal. If you're not sure what's being talked about here, you look for cross-references that are direct cross-references that deal with the exact same topic to provide you more information. And you don't selectively pick and choose passages that only go with the way you want it to be interpreted. You have to actually get the full spectrum. And then from that full spectrum, you'll understand what's going on. Okay, now, just so happens I've done some cross-reference work here, okay? And, funny enough, it's this, it, it, Acts chapter 3 is not the first time that Judaizers are brought up. In fact, I'm, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3 is not the first time they're brought up. In fact, there's actually a historical account of what's going on here from Acts chapter 15 about the Judaizers. Okay, let me read to you a very clear passage of Scripture. It says this, But some men came down, Acts chapter 15, verse 1, okay, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, quote, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So here in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, we have this example really clearly, you know, this passage that clearly tells us what the Judaizers were up to. They were saying you have to keep the Mosaic law in order to be saved. That's clearly what the passage is saying. So let's read the story a little bit here. Some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question. What was the question? Whether or not you had, you had to keep the Mosaic law in order to be saved. So being sent on their way uh, by the church, 
They passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the, con- the conversion of the Gentiles, and, brought, and this brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and and order them to keep the law of Moses. So here we've got some historical background that gives us a better picture of what Judaizers are about, right? It's clear from this passage that they say that you cannot be saved unless you keep the law of Moses. And these are and the Pharisees who, quote, became Christians said it's necessary to circumcise them in order them to keep the law of Moses. Okay. Any words here about making them follow our tribe's customs? No, this is about the law of Moses. Okay, now, let me give you another biblical fact here. The law of Moses tells us what God commanded regarding circumcisions. It's found in Leviticus chapter 12. I'll start at verse 1. It says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears, bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days. As the time of, at, as the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Okay, so law of Moses clearly says that, you know, you got to be you got to be clipped and snipped. Okay, so the Pharisees are we have examples of pharisaical Christians, Judaizers, people who are saying you cannot be saved unless you keep the law of Moses. Period. That's what they're saying. They're adding works to the grace of Christ. Okay. We continue in the story, Acts chapter 15, verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Okay? Believe is trust. So they heard the word of the gospel and trust, and they trusted. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. So here in Acts chapter 15, this issue gets brought up to the other apostles. And those of you who are tempted to think that this idea of salvation by grace alone through faith alone is purely a Pauline doctrine, Oh, hogwash. This issue was brought right to all of the other disciples, and Peter's there himself. And he is saying that the Gentiles uh, trusted, heard the gospel, and they believed, and that God gave them the Holy Spirit and cleansed their hearts by faith. Not by works, but by faith. Verse 10. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Seems pretty uh, straightforward to me, folks. Okay, So using the principle, the hermeneutical principle of Scripture interpreting Scripture, 
we found a cross-reference that gives us some historical background to help us understand what a Judaizer is. Okay, The people who, uh, who are focused in on, on penile doctrine. Not penal, but penile. Okay, They're making the claim that you cannot be saved unless you follow the law of Moses and are circumcised. Circumcision, why? You have to be obedient to the law of Moses. You can't be saved. They're mixing God's grace with the law. Any word here about being tribal? No, nothing. Okay, now let me give you another passage of Scripture. We're going to use Scripture, interpreting Scripture. By the way, the very first instance that we hear in Scripture about circumcision is found in Genesis chapter 17. Okay, verse 10, God speaking, This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Okay? Now, I'm going to ask a question here. According to what we just read, okay, according to what we just read, God says circumcision will be a sign of the covenant between God and and Abraham, right? Is God saying that circumcision is tribal or is he saying that it's covenantal? Covenantal. covenantal. It's covenant. It's covenantal. Okay? So when we read the clear passages of scripture that deal with circumcision, we don't get anything about tribal. Right? We find out that it's commanded by God in the Mosaic Law in Leviticus, and that when God first gave circumcision, it was a sign of a covenant. It wasn't tribal, it's covenantal. So circumcision is literally a sign to the world, if you would, that you are in a covenant relationship with Yahweh. Right? Now, a lot of people had this done, and they kind of hung out together, and they were tribal. But it was—it doesn't say anything about this being tribal. This is covenantal. Okay. So therefore, understanding a biblical principle, you don't draw a doctrine or a teaching unless you have a clear word from God's word. Okay. We have no clear word in the Scripture about tribal circumcision being tribal. We do have clear words about it being ordered by the law of Moses. We do have a clear word from God's word that says that circumcision is covenantal. And we also have a clear passage of scripture that that, that tells us the historical background behind the Judaizers. And what do we know about Judaizers? Judaizers are those who believe that you cannot be saved unless you keep the Mosaic law. Have I made my case so far? Anything tribal in what I've said? No, because the okay, well, that's not it's not that's not biblical language. Okay, now let's continue with Rob Bell, and then what we're going to do is we're going to take his concepts here and plug them into the scripture in Philippians three to see if they work. But I want to get a little bit more. I want to get a little more out from Rob Bell before I do that. Here we go. Saying, beware of anybody that wants to take the gospel being the same centric. So, so you see what's happening in Philippians is all people are experiencing the saving love of God expressed in Christ. That's what's happening in Philippi. And there is this group 
of Jewish Christians who are going around to these all people who are experiencing God's saving love for the whole world expressed in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And they're saying, wait, 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 wait. If you're really going to be legitimate, you have to do our tribe's rituals. And Paul is... Okay, is that what what we've learned from other passages of Scripture? That the Judaizers were saying you have to follow our tribe's rituals in order to be legitimate. Is that a synonym for what the Judaizers were doing? I don't think so. I think there's actually something functional. There's something substantively different here. What? Okay, the Judaizers were not talking about you have to follow our tribe's rituals. They were saying you have to obey the law of Moses, and that that is far more than just mere tribalism. We continue saying beware of anybody that wants to take the gospel the wrong direction beware them dogs now next slide the three words he uses when he describes these people and he is cranked up about this first word he uses he uses the word kindness now to a very good religious jew the word they used for everybody who wasn't them, who they said were unclean, is they called them dogs. So Paul, in this brilliant judo move... Now, wait a second. They, these Judaizers said that anybody who didn't follow the law of Moses was unclean. Let's make that clear. That We have that from clear teachings from other passages like Acts 15. It says, you see yourself as clean... And you see all these other people as dogs. But in your efforts to convert everybody to your tribal ideology. Hold on, hold on. No. He's trying to paraphrase the passage. Is his paraphrase telling us what the passage really teaches? He's using the phrase, convert people to your tribal ideologies. Is that what's going on here? Or is he trying to warn people about those who are trying to make salvation based upon keeping the Mosaic law? I'm, I would make the argument there is a substantive difference between tribal ideologies and the Mosaic law. Okay, tribal ideologies almost sounds like man-made stuff. Okay, tribal ideologies and, and things that are tribal identities. In our tribe, you know, we get a tattoo of Linus sucking on his thumb and holding his blanket. Okay, that's what our tribe does. So you can't be part of our tribe unless you get a Linus tattoo. And it's, a, it's an absurd example. But, you, you, okay, there's no passage of Scripture that says you have to get a Linus tattoo. And if your tribe all has Linus tattoos and you, you're not one of us unless you have a Linus tattoo, that would be a tribal ideology. That's different than the Law of Moses because the Law of Moses isn't based upon tribal ideas. It's actually revealed law from God. God said, you shall not do this and you shall do that. Is that tribal ideology or is that literally the one true God commanding something? When God commands in Leviticus, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, 
speak to the people of Israel. If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Is that a tribal ritual or something that God commanded? Okay, he commanded it. Okay. Linus tattoos are optional. We continue. You think they're the dogs and you're clean, but you're now actually the unclean ones. <laughs> Boom. Next one. Kakoe ergatai. Kakoe is where we get the word kaka. It means bad, evil. Ergatoi works. I know. I love saying that. Kaka? Kaka. It's bad, evil. Evil workers or doers. He says, in your efforts to get people to conform to your tribal-centric small worldview. Okay, there, okay, there it is. He's, he's trying to paraphrase the passage. His paraphrase, in your effort to try to get people to conform to your small tribal-centric worldview. A tribal-centric worldview? Is that what Paul is warning us about? If it really is something that Paul's warning us about, then it would it would fit in the scriptures if we put it there, wouldn't it? Okay. We're gonna do a little bit of work here. Okay, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take the words I'm gonna take the word global centric and I'll 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 and the, the, the phrase global centric and the term uh, tribal identity. Okay? Because you know, I think those two are are fair synonyms for what uh Rob Bell is saying, and we're going to plug these into Philippians chapter three. We're going to see if these work. Now, this is something you can do, and this is the whole point of this exercise. If you are not sure about whether or not somebody what somebody is teaching you is true, they're using words where they're interpreting God's word, and they, there's key phrases, and they're saying that this is what this passage means. Then you should be able to take their phrases and plug them into that passage of scripture, and it should work. Okay. So Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 2. Look out for them dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who are global-centric and who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in tribal rituals. Though I myself have reason for confidence in tribal rituals, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in tribal rituals, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of, of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisees, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of tribal rituals, and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain, be global centric and gain Christ. Is the passage working? No. It's close, but it's not quite there. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from tribal rituals, but that which comes from being global centric in Christ. Mm -mm, it doesn't work. In, the, in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on being global-centric. That I may be found in him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings and becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the life. The passage doesn't work when you do that. 
And let me read it to you the way it's supposed to be read. And then I'm going to give you another cross-reference. Again, Scripture interprets Scripture. Always an important thing. You guys got to apply this to yourselves. Okay, so Philippians chapter 3. Let me read it to you again in context and watch what's really going on here. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you as no trouble to me and as a safeguard for you. Look out for those dogs. Look out for those evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Who, and who are those? Those are the Judaizers. And what do Judaizers do? They claim you cannot be saved unless you keep the Mosaic law. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, now, notice that Paul says, uh, it's Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. Paul says, put no confidence in the flesh. Why is he saying flesh? Okay, that's an important point here. Okay, he's putting no confidence in the flesh. It doesn't say that he's not putting any confidence in tribal rituals. In fact, tribal rituals is not a synonym for flesh. And he's not warning people about tribal rituals. He's warning people about those who are trying to put, quote, confidence in the flesh. Isn't that really what the problem is of the Judaizers? They've put confidence in their own flesh for their salvation. I keep the Mosaic law. Therefore, God owes me salvation. When you look at it like that, it makes sense. Okay. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, Paul writes, if anyone else thinks he has re a reason for confidence in the flesh, that's the third time he said that. Confidence in the flesh, confidence in the flesh. The term confidence in tribal rituals is not synonymous with tribal with with the, the term confidence in the flesh. Whose flesh? His own flesh. He says, if anyone has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of the of the, of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin is mentioned there. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. Now notice what's going on here. Okay, he's listing off all the reasons why he should have quote confidence in the flesh. Confidence for what? Confidence for salvation based upon self righteousness. That's what he's talking about. It's not about tribal rituals and having a narrow tribal view. It's about believing that you can save yourself by your own fleshly efforts. You can't. That's the whole point of the passage. Okay? As a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. Okay? Paul is basically claiming here, he, in his flesh, if anyone should have confidence, he has reasons to be confident because he, under the Mosaic law, was blameless. Okay? But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. And this is where you get the fuller picture going on. If indeed I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So now you see how this passage is a great cross-reference to Acts chapter 15. The two passages actually work together very well. They cover the circumcision issue together, and both of them exalt salvation by grace through faith because of Christ. And not having confidence in your own ability to keep the law, but instead trusting and believing by faith. Let me give you one more cross-reference that I think is also very important because um, it deals with this whole idea of cutting certain parts of the male anatomy. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. Paul writing to the churches in Galatia who had listened to these Judaizers, okay, and their false gospel, who had fallen for the teachings of the Judaizers and their false gospel. Paul writes, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. Cut the whole thing off. Okay? So here we've got another good cross-reference. When you're doing biblical study like this, and you're hearing biblical interpretation, the cross-references help you get the fuller context. So this is another passage that puts a complete nail in the coffin of what Rob Bell is saying. This isn't about tribal identities or tribal rituals or or a narrow tribal-centric view. This isn't about being tribal-centric at all. Tribal-centric being or versus global-centric. In fact, that's a better way to probably probably, go back and put that in there because tribal-centric. Centric. Okay, let me read it again. Let's see if we try it this way. Look out for those dogs, look out for those evidos, look out those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who are global-centric and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in being tribal-centric. Now, see, that's more what he was saying. Though I myself have reason for confidence in being tribal-centric. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in being tribal-centric, I have more. You see, that doesn't work at all. And when you take Rob Bell's concept... And take the phrases and plug them into the passage, you find it doesn't work. Because remember, his point was we need to go from being egocentric to ethnocentric to being global centric. 
that Christ is inviting us to be global-centric. That's not what Paul is telling us to do here at all. It doesn't, 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 doesn't work at all. And good biblical hermeneutics, spending some time in God's Word, thinking critically, looking at the cross-references, getting the fuller picture, will help you so that you're not duped by somebody who's twisting God's Word. Plain and simple. I hope that was helpful. I know it's a lot for a Friday afternoon, but <laughs> there it is. All right. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of Fighting for the Faith, and I'd like to thank you for listening and would like to remind you that Fighting for the Faith is a listener-supported program. And if uh, it, if you would like to support the, ra- the radio outreach of Fighting for the Faith, then I would ask you to partner with Pirate Christian Radio. Uh, Pirate Christian Radio is a listener-supported network, and we need your financial support to continue to pay our bills and expand this important outreach. You can do so. You can help us by partnering with us. Send your gift to Pirate Christian Radio, Post Office Box 791, SJC, California, 92693. Well, folks, there it is. Until next time, may God bless you.